It's episode 12 here at the Catching Up Podcast with Connor and Nick. And we're starting off the show talking about Nintendo's new learning tool, Labo. We also talk about the future of freelancing in a modern city. What are the franchise fees incurred when you buy a franchise? And lastly, what's the well-being of your company? It's more connected to your personal life than you may think. Thanks for watching the show. Enjoy. What is going on, Nick? How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? I uh, cannot complain. Like always, I can't believe it is Friday again. It just every week blows my mind how quickly this podcast like sneaks up on me. Um, oh, yeah. And it's uh, like, wow, we, I thought we, like we like just did the last. The weeks are flying by, my man. Yeah, you have a good week. You accomplish anything exciting you want to tell people about? I did have a good week, and um, I'll just tease out the. Uh, I met with some executives from a very large telecom company that is is um, is spread across the continent of Africa, and uh, some executives were in town this week, and we will be announcing something very soon. Oh but, uh, yeah, yeah, very very exciting, and a lot of growth ahead for Founders Live. Awesome. I cannot wait to hear about that. That's going to be so cool. And yep. I mean, just the opportunities there um, are so big and to kind of help inspire the entrepreneurial community um, in Africa or anywhere in the world, really. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just a special opportunity for you. I'm really excited. Yep. Excited, man. How about you? Um, this week, I actually struggled a lot this week. I just uh, haven't, you know, my schedule's starting to catch up with me because I like to do so many in-person meetings and and I make I try to make myself very accessible to get coffee with people and talk, but I just um, it really interfered this week with like trying to meet with people, but also get the work done that I need to get done. So um, I know some of the topics I've I've been thinking about coming in June and July. Like I'm gonna not necessarily have to hire people here this summer, but definitely figure out how to outsource some of this work that I yeah. do um, because I have opportunities to bring on new clients, but I haven't really. Um, had, let's just say, had the courage to take the next step in the business to, um, you know, put some responsibility in other people's hands to deliver. Um, But that's just because the business is so new and I'm still figuring it out and learning and uh, trying to find out what the best process is moving forward. Uh, But yeah, let's jump into the topics this week. The first topic that I want to start with was uh, first I saw this video um, and it was with Jimmy Fallon and Ariana Grande and The Roots. And Jimmy Fallon's very notorious for like taking little kid instruments and putting all these instruments together with the roots and taking very popular pop culture songs and and playing them with the with the artists. And so this week they came out with Ariana Grande and they're playing like these weird paper cardboard toys. And so I looked into it a little bit more and it's this new toy by Nintendo called Labo. And Labo is a collaboration with the switch and it's this pretty much like cardboard boxes and you engineer these different tools so they have instruments like pianos and guitars they have a robot um an rc car and it's kind of like um hardware that you can engineer and put together and then plug into the switch and it becomes this video game as well and so i was just like so inspired by it. i thought it was such an interesting thing and so nick i know i sent you the video and a little article about it like do you think this is going to be the next guitar hero or rock band or kind of what do you see uh, in this product? Are you interested at all by it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's awesome. And, 
you know, honestly, I, it, this really hadn't hit my radar, um, shows how, how deep I've been in certain uh, rabbit holes, but, um, I think it's freaking awesome. And I think it's, um, it just seems like I, I'm kind of on both sides because it's like, I don't know. Did you read that dude, like, um, Fender and both Fender and Gibson are like struggling big time. Oh and, yeah. Uh, you know, the whole guitar, electric guitar industry, it actually goes back to uh, electronic music is, you know, like um, EDM and all that stuff is actually in hip hop is overtaking rock. So now you look at like the instruments and like guitar and Fender are literally like at a point where they've never been in a worse position business wise because not as many people are buying like high-end guitars artists are creating music in different ways just like this and mm -hmm. so so half of me is like it's kind of sad that you know one of the mainstays of like since you know the 50s 60s uh like the electro electric guitar and that whole rock sound is starting to uh fade in the sense of new ways of creating music um so i'm sad about that but i look at this and i'm like dude if that's if that democratizes the the ability for us to actually make music, I think it's awesome because it creates more, it it it, in, it inspires more creativity and you know like that video is just insane where it's, they're literally all playing these like paper you know like cardboard <laughs> you know instruments. I'm like that's freaking awesome. That sounded great. So um, obviously you have to be a musician. You have to know what you're doing and and make something that sounds great. But, uh, this is really cool because I'm sure it's not a $5,000 guitar. Yeah. So do you think like Fender and Gibson, they are kind of responsible for their own demise? Like should they have been more innovative and, and try to partner with Nintendo or, or get involved in something like this to help progress their companies? Or do you think like as a guitar company, that's, that's pretty hard to be that innovative, and yeah, just like with the transition to EDM music and everything, like, should they have been more on top of uh, electronic music and creating different instruments to like stay with where the market's going? Well, I, th I think it's very similar to like Kodak, right? Like, you know, shouldn't Kodak have actually foreseen and understood the transition through digital cameras and, and how that whole thing into the cell, you know, cell phone and smartphone, um, maybe maybe not but i think it's just that innovator's dilemma like at some point they you know there was a there was a point where they were making a crap ton of money they were the kings of music industry and they probably just didn't see around the curve and you know like yeah could they have worked with nintendo but i don't think they ever saw this coming yeah definitely not yeah yeah what about what about you man you this hit your radar so it's like yeah, what was your thoughts? Yeah, and I was surprised because this actually came out like a month ago, like the Nintendo Labo review that I saw. And um, I wouldn't have seen if I wasn't like scrolling through YouTube. If you haven't seen the Jimmy Fallon and Roots performances where they take like the little kid instruments like xylophones and everything, you should definitely go check that out because yeah. it's just like, it's just really unique um, and just speaks to the talent, uh, specifically of mm -hmm. the Roots, to take these little instruments and like make beautiful sounding music with them um but yeah i just i just think it's super innovative like if i was a kid like this is what i want for christmas no doubt um it's just <laughs> it's just so cool to like build it if, if i was a parent right now if you're a parent listening to this like just the article that i read it sounded like it was such a fun experience to take 
video games that that are more new generation i mean there's plenty of adult parents that played a lot of video games too um but it's a really cool way to like take these hardware and the video game software and like combine them and have this shared experience with uh your child or or some other child um whether it's a nephew or niece or whatever it is and i just think like that experience is pretty cool it doesn't sound like the games are all that great what's really interesting to me is the creative aspect that like you can build this little piano that's got like 12 keys on it and then you can create your own music Um, so i I have a question can you can can people um in different parts of the city or the world be able to play together in real time uh probably not yet uh but that's certainly an opportunity i've actually thought about that in general um because i know i i don't think i've seen any over online live music i've seen like people where they get like hey play these notes or sing this chord or whatever sing this lyric and then they take all the videos and they sync them all up to be one right so so thousands of people can contribute to one song yeah um but i i think the latency in delivery of the live video and audio is going to be kind of difficult but this is definitely an opportunity to like hey we have a drummer in china and we have a guitarist in africa and we have a singer in europe and what and we're all going to play at the same time virtually like that would be a crazy experience i think that's going to be very difficult to do because um hearing what everyone's doing in that collaboration between sounds is so important when when you're putting an orchestra together yeah. uh but i i definitely could see it happening yeah totally so speaking of you know um working wherever you want in the world uh the next the next topic that uh, we put on our list here today, which I think is really interesting, and it's, you know, the, the title of the article was, um, instead of courting Amazon, cities should court freelancers. And, you know, really, it's interesting that they, you know, as Amazon looks for headquarter number two, um, they're saying it should add about 50,000 uh, jobs to that city. Well, if you think about it, you know, the concept of freelancing is really could add a ton more jobs to a city if you will that if if a city became a lot more friendly and encouraging to the freelancer economy uh which they say is you know up to about 57 million u.s freelancers representing almost 40 percent of the entire workforce uh 40 almost 50 percent of millennials uh clearly connor i think you're quite familiar with this lifestyle so uh what are your thoughts on if you know is is the future really, do we feel it's going towards like all freelancing and what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a, a major portion of the world's economy is going to go towards some type of freelancer. I mean, it's the, it's the gig economy at scale and I, uh, there's just so many, so much pressure on big companies now. I mean, that's been the hot topic, especially this week here in Seattle is all these big companies um even i mean companies that aren't even that big like uh my girlfriend who works for outreach like her company is affected by this head tax because of the revenue they do and no one even knows who they are really um and so there's a lot of pressure on companies and the more employees you have the more burden it is to uh facilitate those employees needs so i think a lot of big companies are going more towards like let's get freelancers because it's less burden on those companies uh the the big problem that i had with this article is i just don't like there's no way that cities are going to embrace this this uh freelance culture because they're just so far behind 
and and it just doesn't work out in their favor even though it would bring more people to their city and 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 make it more viable i just think that they like here in seattle like the big thing is the homeless problem Mm -hmm. so i just wonder like how what are they going to do if they created this this public space with free wi-fi which and and how are they going to get like professional freelancers to come and mingle possibly with homeless people um there i I could just see there being a problem there well think about Um, this you know think about this the honestly like let's let's not all let's just simply say the truth is cities are all they really just care about tax revenue and the whole fight in seattle was they call it the head tax which is like taxing per employee to bring more revenue and in cash into cities so they can improve the cities And, and by the way like i don't I don't discredit or I don't think that that's the whole concept in terms of we need to improve our cities. So where do we get the cash is not a bad argument in the sense of, you know, just improving a city. But um, if you if you yeah, a city would not really ever encourage like, hey, let's bring in all these freelancers because are they going to just tax the freelancers? That doesn't make sense. A freelancer tax just makes me want to cry. You know, but I think the underlying point of this article is the changing of how people are working in the world, especially younger, the younger demographic. And I I think it's interesting. And now what's going to happen is these sort of things are going to come come to head because, you know, as more and more people become uh, more freelancing type of employment or business, you know, how did the cities actually react to that? I think that's a good question. Yeah, and I I think kind of to to put a closing note on here, what is difficult though because of the freelance economy, it provides opportunity to move around. So you want to do stuff as a city to entice more people to come and live because in the end, it's probably going to benefit you in some type of way uh, from the city growth. But at the same time, it's created an environment where if I wanted to pick up and leave because I'm a freelancer and I want to go live in Dallas, Texas for the next three months, there's not too much holding me back from doing that. Yeah. So yeah. What kind of resources are there that keep someone in one city versus another city or, you know, traveling abroad or whatnot. And so I could see that the cities would have some problems because it's not like necessarily a very reliable person to come live there. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think you make a really good point kind of around taxes. Like how, how are they going to monetize that? I mean, I think, uh, with companies like WeWork um, and Galvanize, they're the ones who are really taking advantage of this current economy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as a third topic today, I found this list that came out uh, through Entrepreneur Magazine. And it was just a list of like some of the top franchises. Um, and a lot of these numbers come from 2015. So they might have changed, but they were the top some of the top franchises in the U S and kind of what the prices were to buy into some of these franchises. And so Nick, were there any franchises that stuck out to you on this list that were like, Oh, that's not as expensive or that's way more expensive. Or do you have any general uh, feelings about buying a franchise and kind of being an entrepreneur in that route? You know, I, I, I definitely am not the most, um, pro or supportive of buying a franchise such as like, you know, Dairy Queen, Cold Stone, all those. Um, I'm, I'm not discrediting it at all. It's just not my, it's not my thing. Um, it, 
you know, when I, what stuck out to me is like, so they have, you know, the startup costs and, you know, some of them started around, you know, 150 to 200, you know, the range was like, you know, 150 to like three, 400. And that's like on the low end, um, on the high end, we're talking about one to 2 million, you know, Dairy Queen is up to almost $2 million, literally startup costs. That's, you know, that's basically like, how much do I need to either go into debt for raise money investors wise, you know, your startup costs to actually start operating this business. Um, so it, I, I mean, to be honest, and all these are like, you know, kind of physical world operating a food, some sort of, um, you know, most of them are food oriented. You're literally operating a business in, you know, the service industry. So it's not, not my thing, but, um, understanding, the way that founders live is structured, you know, we're not a franchise at all, but we do have these, the way that we expand in these cities is a a similar concept from a high level, which is, you know, find individuals or a team in a certain city, they basically sign on and there's an agreement that we have. Uh, Everything is fully owned by founders live, but they are quote the like Chicago franchise. And, um, you know, so I'm interested just from like how the mechanics of, of that business structure works and uh, you know the specifically though to be a franchise someone must purchase a what you would call essentially a licensing fee or some sort of franchise fee on a yearly basis or sometimes one time sometimes it's a yearly basis to have the legal right to run that mcdonald's or that taco bell or subway and they are a proprietor. They own that business, but they have the license to operate that brand. Um, that doesn't happen with Founders Live, and I probably would never go that route just because it's such a barrier. But um, yeah, it's interesting, man. Uh, you know, what did you? It's kind of slightly random that hit your hit your radar. So, what did you think, and why did you post it? Um, yeah, I posted it because I've actually just, I mean, there's so many franchises here in Seattle and when I'm walking around, I've just been interacting more with so many different business owners that I've kind of got a different look into franchises and, and a lot of the franchise owners can be, are struggling because Mm -hmm. they get, they get put in this position where, you know, they buy a franchise for, I mean, 25 to 25 million. Right. Um, and they say, all right, you're going to take the brand, like you're going to have all this brand equity and we're going to uh, streamline a lot of your process from like ordering your food or service product um, and putting a process in line about how you hire and how you train people and all that stuff. A lot of the operations gets take, taken care of, but what doesn't get taken care of is you still have to market the business in some type of way. Yeah. And so, um, right, if you're Subway, you're McDonald's, you're Taco Bell, you get bundled in and part of this franchise fee that you pay is part of kind of national advertising. So you're going to, there's commercials, um, there's bus ads, there's TV spots, whatever, whatever there is, you, you kind of get some of the benefit. But like, I know uh, one guy, he has like a small franchise out of Hawaii. It's a burger chain and he, I think he's doing okay, but all the marketing's on his own. This franchise out of Hawaii is not running any commercials for him here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and same thing, like I'm working with a tutoring center and I know they're really struggling, um, because the tutoring center doesn't have this big, it's not Kumon, um, right. A lot of people know what Kumon is. And so they're just really struggling to get the name out there and they're paying a fee to the franchise, which is kind of should be their marketing fee. 
Um, right. If they had that money available every month or every year to put into marketing, I think they could, they could, um, advance a little further. And so, yeah, it's just difficult. And it's, it's an option to be a business owner if you have some extra cash to do it. So I, that's why I figured I should put it up here because I thought it was interesting. Um, but to kind of round it off, just to give you guys some of the numbers, Pizza Hut franchise, anywhere from 300 k to $2 million. Uh, Papa John's, 130 k up to $900,000. Um, what were some other ones? Uh, Taco Time, local joint, I believe here, uh, 330k to 1.4 million dollars. Um, I might have already said, but Taco Bell, 1 million to 3 million. Um, Carl's Jr., 1 to 2 million. Uh, what was the other one? And a McDonald's franchise, 1 to 3 million. Jack in the Box, 1 to 3 million. And I think those are the like the bigger the investment. Like McDonald's, like hardly closed down. So I would think these big ones that have you know global brands are probably the more reliable ones to to buy because i think the success rate is really high it's actually that tutoring center um and i also know that quiznos are really notorious for failing as well um so yeah just because you buy into one of these franchises doesn't mean that you are going to be an instant success there is still a bunch of work that needs to be done uh to get people to walk into your front door oh yeah oh yeah uh last last point last question that we were on our list today that we want to talk about, which is an interesting one, which is basically, I'll just pose a question and I'll describe what's going on here. But are you and your company actually that similar? And there was a, an article posted on founders live, which was really uh, intriguing and a really great post. I thought just to bring out some perspectives, but really it was titled not so different. And his point is you and your you are not your business, but you might have more in common than you realize. And what I thought that was interesting was the crux of the com- the crux of the article is really about, um, you know, looking at your business in terms of some eight domains for an indication of success. And those domains include, um, you know, just like humans, well-being uh, businesses have a well-being around physical, emotional, social, intellectual, environmental, spiritual financial and occupational. And, um, you know, it was just really, really interesting how he described how you should, by looking at your business, almost like a human and a person such as yourself, you can evaluate the health, well-being and health of it. And then he ends it with questions. Um, if you don't yet try to think of your business as a living organism with a state of well-being that requires regular rela- relationship in order to thrive. And, Connor, do you agree that businesses and organizations are basically living organisms? Uh, yeah, I would agree. This actually kind of opened my mind up a little bit. And I'll give a little shout out to Ian Anderson, um, the person who wrote this article, because and it really applies really well to his business um, and, and the community that, that he's trying to communicate. And I actually met with Ian a couple weeks ago. And, oh, awesome. You, you know, we talked about, these, these, I believe, seven pillars, physical, emotional, social, intellectual, environmental, spiritual, financial, and occupational, um, you know, on, from the personal side. And at the time, I didn't really think about, oh, how this affects my business. And so I was really happy that he put this out here um, because it, it's hard to uh, inter- internalize some like, right, occupational um, or spiritual, but some of the things like 
the the physical state of your company, the emotional, uh, social, intellectual, environmental. I think those things apply very well to the state of the company. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm a single person business, so I don't have as many of those dynamics going on as as a bigger company with employees or multiple team members would, but. When you have multiple team members, you are definitely an organism um, because there's so many people contributing to the culture and the operations and the day-to-day health of the business that I just think a a business should be looked at this way. It really kind of opened up my mind, like, how am I treating my business? Like, am I putting the right time into the space that I'm working at or um, the way that I'm talking about it or the stuff that I'm putting out online or Um, It really made a lot of sense. And and this is going to change how I am perceiving my business as well. And there's probably some things here that I should do a better check on. That's more than just uh, what, what does my bank account look like right now? Yeah. I I think Ian's, Ian's uh, spot on here. It's, I think it's very interesting and intelligent way to consider your business. And um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I struggle in the sense that, there is a fine line between how you sink into your business and, you know, especially if you are, uh, you know, a single founder and a single uh, proprietor, if you will, um, you are your business, but you shouldn't be your business because there, there does need to be a separation of individual individuality and you as a fa- like as, as a founder and a running your company. Um, in the end of the day, you're human and we need to be balanced emotionally and spiritually versus like, you know, and I struggle with this as well, like sinking right into just, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm Founders Live. And, you know, like that, that's not the right way to think, I believe. So um, I think that he's just posed some great questions. I would encourage anyone listening to, you know, go to Founders Live, search Ian Anderson, or the, the article is not so different. And it's um, sitting at the top of Founders Live right now. And, um, you know, I think, this is a, a nice little plug to say that, you know, there's a lot, there's like a lot of great articles like this on Founders Live. And as we go forward, we're looking for even more uh, of these type of articles from our members. But um, really thinking about your business in a holistic way is like the most important thing to do. Yes, it is. Well, Nick, that concludes the show for the week. Do you have anything, uh, any parting words for our listeners today? No, I just say, uh, hey, have a great weekend. And if you're listening to this in the weekend or early next week, uh, have a great week and uh, check us out every Friday. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to Catching Up with Connor and Nick. I hope you have a wonderful day and thank you very much. Nick, have a great weekend. Yep, peace.